And I think that's what's so dynamic about this building is it is purpose grounding. If you are not grounded in purpose, being in this building will get you grounded in purpose because it's all around you, the whys and the how comes and the for who. And that is a different way of approaching, I would say, life and art and their intercommingling. That was producing director Signe Haraday at Pillsbury House and Theater in Minneapolis, Minnesota. In the first of two episodes, we're sharing on this remarkable arts-based community development agency. In this excerpt, she was describing what she sees as the unique power of Pillsbury, the place, its culturally infused practice, and the community it serves. In this episode, we'll explore how the past two tumultuous years of the pandemic and the continuing impact of George Floyd's murder have affected Pillsbury House and the community it serves. We'll also hear how these momentous events are helping shape what comes next for the Pillsbury story. Along with Signe, our guests for this spring 2022 conversation were Director of Narrative Arts and Culture Noel Raymond and Mike Hoyt, Pillsbury's Creative Community Liaison. This is Change the Story, Change the World. My name is Bill Cleveland. Part 4. The Pivot. So, Pillsbury has evolved over the past decade or so to become an innovative, groundbreaking center for arts-based community development and social services. But over the past two really long years, the foundation of your work, the social aspect of social service, has taken a tremendous hit. The pandemic, for sure, people being together, spontaneously connecting, but also, as you said, historic events that have happened in many cities and neighborhoods, particularly yours, where the whole question of who are my people, where can I be safe, what is a trustworthy environment, are in question. One of the things about art making, particularly performative art making, is that people do have to think about how to make a space safe for what's going to happen in it, whether it's a neighborhood or a theater. Could you talk a little bit about the extraordinary history that we have lived through over the last couple of years and its impact on what your work has been? For me, this is Noel speaking, it's been super hard because a lot of what happens here happens in the in-between right in the space that is the connecting space and a lot of the richness happens there and we haven't had that in the same way that we would have we haven't had the same numbers of people coming through we haven't even all been in the office together and a lot of the sparks fly in the moments when you're like oh i just had this idea i need to i'm gonna shout across the room and to sydney and her office and then we'll explore this and having to intentionally make time for every conversation and engineer every gathering has meant that you lose all of those tiny moments that happen you know a lot of the things that Mike talks about, which are a huge part of the richness of what this community, what this fabric is, right? Is that it is because a little kid and one of the adults in the EPIC program happened to meet in the lobby and smile at each other. That's the spark that makes my day. And then that gives me a thought that launches into another thing. If you don't have all of those opportunities, then you are in a world where you're having to engineer all of the things and that's I think what we the 
whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? So if you have to design each part, then mm. you don't get that wholeness. And I think we, the, I think we're seeing it everywhere. The fraying of the social fabric and the loss of relationships and the loss of some of the other smaller institutions and the exodus of a lot of artists from the field because there was no work. I mean, you know, there's a lot. And But we've been here. We've been working and I think at the same time have discovered some new ways to do things that are super beneficial. I'll pick up on your tracks. <laughs> I also think the nimbleness and the agility and the flexibility that we have is grounded in relationships. And because we have relationships with each other and with people in community and even beyond community, during this time, we could pivot in ways that other institutions and organizations and places may not have been able to do or do as quickly. And I look back at these last few years and I am enamored with what we were able to support and be a part of, whether that's vaccination clinics in our lobby, whether that was helping with food distribution, whether that was still holding space for artists to continue to create throughout the uprising and the pandemics, whether that was continued service in childcare or tax preparation or making theater outside when inside wasn't a possibility. I do think what we've done over the last few years is only possible because of the relationships that we've had. And I think there's a lot of success and a lot of celebration and a lot of joy, even amidst all of the difficulties that we've had to face. That even when a program was delayed, it was not canceled. Even when a fellowship had to be extended over a period of time because we weren't able to fulfill our commitments, that we were able to just stay in relationship. And I think that's what, that's what Mike was talking about early on as he referenced the article that he read to me, that is about like how we center relationship. When you center building relationship with people in place, and frankly, even speaks to the ways in which we want to be in better relationship with our indigenous siblings and how we want to be in better relationship with the resources that we steward and the, and all of that, that this last year has been another moment in our story that takes us back to relationship. Yeah, this is Mike speaking. I, I feel like we all recognize that yep. whatever post-pandemic means, the after effects and the impacts of the compounding pandemics are, are going to be felt in communities like ours for a much longer period. And, you know, I think it, over the past couple of years, we've still been here, you know, in a way, being called the Pillsbury House, we are a house. We're still living here. The childcare never shut down. The adults in our day program were pretty much here throughout and so even if we shut down our lobby for regular foot traffic, we were still here in the building and still supporting people doing work in the neighborhood and finding other ways for us to work differently. The artists in particular that we work with, they didn't stop. They ramped up their engagement, their activism, their organizing. And so we still were trying our best to support them in as many ways as possible. If it meant 
that they couldn't be in a building, we still wanted to be in support of that work. And I think they're the ones that really have held spaces for healing for a community greater than most people that I know yeah. and, and locally. And just speaking to an artist that we partner quite a bit with and who's just the brilliant artist, Monque, who's done so much in our community, is working on a new project for the area around George Floyd Square and have been trying to do a lot of outreach to neighbors over the past couple of months and met a native elder who is right next to George Floyd Square. There's a cemetery public art project there about all the people that have been murdered by the police. And he lives adjacent to that and he's got banners up on his fences and he's very active. But he reached out to Monkway because he's building a sweat lodge that is specifically designed for the Bloods who kind of control George Floyd Square and the police. He wants to to have a sweat lodge for the police and the Bloods to be in, in sweat together. <laughs> it's like pretty intense, yeah, yeah. Wow. pretty amazing, you know, and he doesn't know, like, will anyone come or what, but he's building it. And I think that that exists here regardless of us, but also in relationship to us. And that's the spirit and the power of the people in this neighborhood and community. So I don't know how it'll, how it'll happen. And it's, yeah. it's amazing though. Part five, gaps and canyons. So you've been working at the epicenter, so to speak. And I'm wondering how have these upheavals and what you've learned alongside the community affected your relationships with your art and social service colleagues in the broader region? What's really interesting to me about the last couple of years is that there was a time when, because we were so community embedded, that our reputation as community meant somehow amateur or not as excellent artistically. And the there's been a switch. I think our work has spoken for itself in terms of quality, but that relationship to community has a currency and a traction. People in the large white-led institutions are recognizing the value of that kind of relationship and embeddedness in community in a new kind of way that is interesting in terms of then the kinds of conversations that we're able to have with the larger institutions and the status shift from the way we're being approached as having a particular level of ex expertise and excellence at something that is more desirable. But it's been a shift over the last couple of years, for sure. That expertise did not happen over the last two years. It's decades and decades of work and Obviously, the shift is that people realize if they want to make a difference, particularly in most neighborhoods, you can't sit in some office building with a PowerPoint presentation and alter the course of events that are taking place that are as monumental as a pandemic and an uprising and education gaps. You have to be in the trenches and you have to know what you're doing. You know, those teenagers that came into the theater those people that show up coming through the front door, they trust you. 
They trust that this is an okay place to be. It's their place. It's their place. place. Just to speak a little bit to the folks who, who haven't seen their role in this work or haven't seen themselves connected to places like ours. I want to name that all of the things that we have been talking about that are beautiful, that are dynamic, that are courageous, that are healing, that are uplifting, that are demonstrative of the deep vitality of our community. All of that has happened in large part without the resources. And I think that what I would like people to think about is what is, what is our relationship to the distribution of resources that have been often extracted, that have been hoarded, that have been invested in systems and people who were not actually in need of those things. (laughs) I really have a big question for people about like, where, when are you going to put your money where your mouth and your heart says you want to be? And I think that this community has been systemically disinvested, systemically disinvested. And when you think it about where resources are allocated, what projects get funded. We get some resources, but certainly not to the measure of the work that we do or the people that we serve or the community that we're in. And I think we have a, there is a moral wake up call. And actually, if you put it another way, rather than thinking about it as a gap to fill, not only do, does the gap need to be filled, but there's an expertise there that is being squandered. Well, and being exploited oftentimes. Like I'll say, I feel like how many times have organizations like ours done something and somebody has said, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do that too. And then their project gets funded yeah. while we don't. Or we don't know any actors of color. Help us connect to an actor <laughs> of color for this. The gap for me is not so much a gap as much as it is a canyon between the realities of the different worlds that we live in. And on one side of the canyon are our resources, our, our practices that continue a colonist way of being, which is to take ownership of, which is to exploit, to take credit for, to leverage to your own self-interest and gain is the American dream, a myth of meritocracy. That's all over there. And then I think on the other side of the canyon are the people who were trying to survive, who are doing it with like grace and love and joy and art and each other that I think, and to your point, I think what you're trying to say, Bill, is that like the other side of the canyon sees that. I think folks who, particularly folks who are entrenched in a system that is inherently white supremacist, they see that is not good for white people either. And I would invite that, that this is actually a moment when people could think about how they use their time, energy, and resources. And is that really serving you well? Is that really connected to your own healing? And how can we think about our connections to communities, even if we don't live in that community, 
how can we be in writer relationship with the healing of all? Because, you know, James Baldwin and so many other people have said it so well. No one's going to get free until everybody's free. And so it is complex, but I do think that there are opportunities for us to do things differently. And I would invite people to really be bold about how you think about the agency mm. that you have to support the community where you are. Yeah, and I and so I'm thinking about Heather McGee's yes. book, The Sum of Us, which makes the point that which you just made eloquently, that the thing that most artists understand, which is you pull one thread in the quilt, it affects every single other thread. And I'll just say this again: the cultural expertise, this extraordinary asset that has grown up around decades of work at Pillsbury House is not just a set of programs. It's an amazing resource. Your expertise, your ability to do this, the stories you tell are a community resource above and beyond the neighborhood. I also think the words partnership and collaboration get used a lot. And I think we actually know how to partner in a way that honors all of the labor mm. that's being put in and gives everybody a stake and a return on what the energy that's happening and accrues benefit outside of that too. And that's a huge asset. And I see that not being the case in a lot of the larger arts institutions. And we've been approached to partner in ways that have felt really extractive and really just about having the community credential, but not actually honoring the labor and what it means for us to do the work of gathering and supporting community and participating in whatever the thing is. Part six, Horizons. So, Final questions. Let's start out with just what's on the horizon for Pillsbury House as it, it uh, navigates these uncertain waters. <laughs> so I would say the horizon holds the possibility of being in better alignment with our values by creating spaces that are deeply welcoming to our community and are seeking to bridge opportunities for artists of color in a community where those bridges have been demolished in the last five to 10 years. Noel, how do you see it? We are increasing our footprint in the neighborhood and trying to do that carefully and with full open eyes about what taking up more space means and in order to make more space available and to do more things that support this community in living the lives that they imagine for themselves and their families and their neighbors. Yeah, one of the stories that jumps out for me here is there was a point in Bill Strickland's work up in Pittsburgh with the Manchester Craftsman's Guild that he shared in his TED Talk when they faced the same undersourced future. And he just said, we're going to have a place that honors the people that live in this neighborhood. We're going to do what it takes. We're going to find the will and the resources to change the story here completely and totally. I uh, went out and hired a student of Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect, and I asked him to build me a world-class center in the worst neighborhood in Pittsburgh. And my building was a scale model for the Pittsburgh airport. And when you come to Pittsburgh and you're all invited, you'll be flying into the blown up version of my building. That's the building. Built in a tough neighborhood where people have been given up for dead. 
my view is that if you want to involve yourself in the life of people who have been given up on, you have to look like the solution and not the problem. As you can see, it has a fountain in the courtyard. And the reason it has a fountain in the courtyard is I think that welfare mothers and at-risk kids and ex-steel workers deserve a fountain in their life. And so the first thing that you see in my center in the springtime is water that greets you, water is life, and water is human possibility. And it sets an attitude and an expectation about how you feel about people before you ever give them a speech. And from that point on, he wasn't talking aspiration. He was talking about what was going to happen. And I hear that same impulse coming from you, is that this is what this neighborhood has always deserved. <laughs> We're going to do it right. That's absolutely yeah. true. That's exactly right. And we're going to do it in relationship with Andrea Jenkins, our city council president, our all of our local policymakers, our neighborhood, all of our neighbors, all of our participants, all of our artists. So as you consider those next chapters, what on the horizon really excites you? Signe? I'm excited that we continue to be a place where people who have been coming for decades upon decades, continue to want to come back and feel like this is home. And I'm excited by new people who are coming in who want to make this place their home and our ability to keep our arms wide, our hearts open, and our doors open to both of those kinds of folks. And we see that in cool collaborations with artists. We see that in new programs. We see that in in ways to create pathways for artists beyond what they are developing here and helping to launch their work into other communities and with other organizations and being a conduit in their big lives. I think that's what gets me excited. Yeah, and I think as, I think as Igni and Noel talked to these points, but in living our values and also having the potential of bringing more resource into this community. How do we advocate for people's labor, people's time, reciprocal relationships that involve paying people for their time and their expertise as community members and changing those relationships in how money is allocated throughout this whole ecosystem and fighting for our community's dignity. One of the other sort of internal exciting things that has changed over the past year or so is, you know, being part of Pillsbury United Communities, which is a larger distributed nonprofit organization, which has several narrative enterprises, right? So the theater is considered one of them. We have a low-watt radio station, KRSM. There's North News, which is a newspaper produced by high schoolers at North High. Partnering with all of those other enterprises to create more of a through line and intentional strategic relationship with all of the narrative parts of the organization, ultimately to partner with our policy arm. So there's this interesting opportunity around how storytelling and narrative from community also can mm. work to shape policy, mainly on a state and local level. Which I think brings us full circle to change the story, change the world. <laughs> Before we conclude here, though, I'd just like to say I think there are a lot of folks out there who are going to be encouraged and inspired by the fortitude and persistence showing up in the new chapters that you've described, despite everything that's happened over the last few years. So thank you, Noel, Signe, and Mike, uh, so much right, for sharing your story. Bye. Adios.
Bye-bye. But that's just bye for now, because we'll be back for more. I hope so. And if you know anyone who can write million-dollar checks, you just send them my way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there'll be a line forming. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of lines forming, as I mentioned, there's another important chapter in the continuing Pillsbury saga that we'll be coming back to early next year. That program called Breaking Ice is Pillsbury's 20-year award-winning theater program that has been breaking ice for courageous and productive dialogue around issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in all manner of workplaces across the country. So we'll let you know when that shows up on our schedule. For those of you who have been with us for the past two Pillsbury House and Theater episodes, thank you for tuning in. If you missed that first episode, you'll find that show, number 55, at your preferred podcast provider's site. You'll also find the link in this episode's show notes. Change the Story, Change the World is a production of the Center for the Study of Art and Community. It's written and hosted by me, Bill Cleveland. Our theme and soundscape are by the stupendously talented Judy Munson. Our text editing is by Andre Nebe. Our sound effects come from freesound.com, and our inspiration rises up from the spectral and lurking presence of Ook 235. If you have any comments to share or suggestions for guests, drop us a line at csac at artandcommunity.com. Until next time, stay well, do good, and spread the good word. 